want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. Hello folks, how is everybody doing? Welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, The Exit Interview. That's right, that's right. Their favorite, everybody knows. How are you doing today, Dr. Lyons? I can't complain, got a little cold here. I brought back from Mexico City. I was partying too hard. All right. Um, But I'm feeling good. No complaints whatsoever on this beautiful Sunday evening in October. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we are glad to have everybody here with us tonight. Uh, we we are blessed with a very special guest that I think we've, you know, behind the scenes, Asia, Gerardo and I have been really looking forward to uh, sitting down with. Uh, we, we, we are fortunate enough this evening to bring you an exit interview with none other than the legendary Branta Lockett. Woo! <laughs> Thank you, legendary. That's <laughs> legendary. Yes, yes, doing big stuff. Yes, for sure. Trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you famous out in these streets. We've been trying to track you down for a little bit, so we're glad that you got a chance to come on and tell your story. Um, for our audience, uh, I know that quite a few folks may recognize Branta's name from BLM 5280 and her work there, and maybe some other folks in DPS might recognize her from there and all other places within community. So yeah, we're just going to go ahead and dive in. First question, Branta, our favorite. Um, tell us about your journey into education. How did you know you wanted to be an educator? Okay, yeah, this is a complicated question. I will start by saying that my mom is a teacher. She's a music teacher and she's been a teacher my whole life. And very early on, she was like, you're not going to be a teacher. So we'll start with that. (laughs) I tell tell my daughter the same thing. My kids, I tell both of them, don't be a teacher. Yeah, don't be a teacher. Yeah, don't be a teacher. Now she's like the, I told you so, right? But (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think when I was in high school, I I went to high school in Miami, Florida, and I was in the IB program there. And um, it was a majority black high school. However, the IB program was not majority black. And I experienced a lot of anti-black racism 
but it wasn't from white people. It was from people who identified as Latinx, right? So like that was my like, like, okay, there are differences in education opportunities um, and how people, the resources that people are told about. And Mm -hmm. um, it was a lot of it, like my best friend and I, another black woman navigating it, like luckily we had the help of our parents who are highly educated to help us through that process and to get into colleges and whatnot. But I really noticed the differences way back in high school. Um, Fast forward, I graduated from Vanderbilt University and I didn't know what I was going to do. I ended up getting a major in African-American studies and minored in European history. Um, And from there, I was back home in Miami 22 and be like, okay, so what's next? And my mom's like, you're going to grad school. So I went to grad school, still not knowing what I wanted to do. So I um, studied cross-disciplinary studies. As a professor of mine told me from Vanderbilt, <laughs> that's a complicated degree. <laughs> nice. like, okay. knows what that means. <laughs> now, what, what does that mean for our audience? It's like um, interdisciplinary studies, but they, they say cross-disciplinary because I think there's... Um, I guess they want to be different, <laughs> but a lot, like we talked about like conflict resolution. I learned a lot about like higher ed management and education. Um, and yeah, it was kind of all over the place. However, <laughs> my practicum took me to this nonprofit in Miami um, and they, they had a lot, they provided wraparound services. It was um, ran by three black women and um, I helped them with their program that helped with um young young students who have been incarcerated or um, arrested for like minor offenses and so like a part of their probation was to complete these like workshops with their parents and so I, I gathered from like these youth that again I was seeing the differences in um, resources that were available to them and at the same time I was working at a Jewish school a private Jewish school in Miami right so like it was like in my face. And then on top of it, I was working as a tutor in a title one school. And oh, so like, wow. yeah, the contradictions. Yep. Yeah. I'm yeah. seeing all of these things and I'm like, well, obviously like skin color was the biggest difference, right? Like yeah. how, how are they different from each other? But then like money and then understanding how money can impact how your education looks in your life path. So at the end of that program, after talking to that professor who was like, you have this complicated degree from the school with this complicated name. She was like, you should look into like schools of education. So that's, I was like, all right, let me look. And I ended up going to Brown and studying urban education policy. Um, and that was an amazing program. Um, but there I was like, okay, well, if I'm gonna get into policy, I need to get in the classroom, right? Cause I don't mm-hmm. wanna be yep. Yep. Like, like making decisions without understanding how school works. And that brought me to Denver <laughs> where I, my first teaching job was at a charter school in Denver. Um, and it was horrific. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Horrific. Horrific. By October of my first year teaching, I knew that I didn't want to teach anymore. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I stuck it out. I stuck it out a bit longer. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I got into teaching. It wasn't like something that I dreamed of as a little girl at all. It wasn't something that I was encouraged to do. It was just something that just like the steps just kept making sense that I eventually ended up in the classroom. Talk talk about that experience, you know, because I think right now, you know, in terms of educational policy, like what what was your experience and and, and charter versus public, right? Because I think this is important because some people think, well, you know, public schools have all the answers and charter schools have all the answers 
or, but like, I think there's a complexity between it all. So tell us about that experience that you had at that charter school that made you realize by October, yo, this is not for me. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what they did to me. <laughs> so they had, um, they had that no excuses model. And um, I was the only black teacher on my campus at that time. And um, I was seeing the impact of their behavior management system and the impact it was having on students of color, particularly my black students. And so I was like, I'm not doing all these things. I'm not giving kids checks. I'm not like making them sit and star. I'm not gonna, oh, your shoes untied till you have a check. You have these mini checks now. You can't uh, go. Hold on. Will you hold on? And what <laughs> tell the people what star is? Cause I think yeah. people like, cause like when we talk about like controlling black bodies, yes. explains what star is. Yes. yes. Sit up straight. Um, you have to cross your hands on your desk, like pay attention. And um, yeah. And they also told the kids how to walk in the hallways. They used to walk on lines in the hallways of the school. And I remember going home winter break watching Lock Up. I used to love watching yep, Lock Up. Yep, yep, yep. Yes. Canal Detention Center. And I saw these kids walking on a line and I was like, oh my goodness, this is a jail. Like this, this school model is based on what they're doing in yep. jails. And I was teaching kindergarten. So like, just, mm -hmm. I was just like, I am not doing this to these babies. I was like, I went to school. I didn't have to sit this way. I didn't have to be told when to speak and not to speak, how to walk in the hand, the hallway with my hands by my side. And I turned out just fine. Right. They, were like, they were like, oh, really? Well, here's a growth plan. You have three weeks. Three weeks get on board or we will let you go. Okay, yeah. so we wanna know what happened. I was my like my first real job. So mm -hmm. I kept my mouth shut and I I did what they told me to do. Um, it's, you know, still not as to, not as to the fidelity they wanted me to, but yeah. I was like, right, let me just, let me do this so I can keep a job. I was new to Denver. My yep. first apartment, all these things. So I was like, I, yeah. I couldn't afford to to be let go, or so I thought at that time, right? Because Branson now would never. Yep. <laughs> Listen, oh my! And you know what's so interesting about that? You know, there's there's so many pieces to what you just said, right? Being able to afford to leave. This is my first job. Like navigating that. Um, we've had this conversation so many times, right, Kevin? About like how people negotiate that conversation and it's a first year yeah for sure right even at the 30th year right we a lot of times hear people saying like you know what I've got to think about other things like taking care of um, older parents or a para or I got a kid you know in who needs like special things from you know like hospital care or whatever and like all these things are the ways that um, systems are able to silence us and I, but I love that you said but the branch of today like hell no, yes. nah. yeah. Not not doing it. Right, I was like, yeah, they. I I wish like going back. I was like, yeah, I should have just kept doing what I was doing. Let them fire me, collect the unemployment checks, and <laughs> find the next job. All right, <laughs> move on to the next. On to the next one. Yeah. So Branta, like you, you mentioned this thing, and I, I did. I'm curious because I know there's a lot of black educators in Denver who have the same story who moved from someplace else to Denver. Can you talk about how you ended up in Denver as, as a black educator? It was super random. I came here 
during spring break um, when I was at Brown and to visit some friends. And I was like, oh, this is nice. I was, like the weather was nice. It was clean. I, I, I was comparing it to Rhode Island, yep. not to Miami, but yes. I was like, oh, this is nice. So when I apply for jobs, I apply for a job in Florida, a job in Nashville and a job in Denver. And I got all three offers and I chose Denver. I was like, let me do something different. And so that's how I ended up ah. here. Did the district, uh, did, um, did, did Denver schools that like, I know you're part of a charter. Did they have any sort of like incentives for you as a black educator willing to relocate? No, but I will say the charter did um, pay for my moving expenses and they gave me a signing bonus. And again, first real job, I was like, oh, this is, this is nice money. It, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it seemed like a, a great idea. And I, I was like, oh, they're going to, they value me here. This is nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I asked because, you know, I'm, I'm part of the Denver Classroom Teachers Association. And, uh, and like one of the things that like we constantly think about is, uh, a BIPOC educator member of the, the union is how, and we're going to get into a question related to this is how do we attract and retain black teachers? But one of the like big solutions that the district has is, you know, we, we go to other places, we go to Atlanta, we go to Miami, we go to new Orleans and we, and we try to get these black educators to move to Denver. And so like, I always am curious about the experience of black educators who move from places like that, you know, cities with uh, much larger black populations and, and what their experiences is and how that plays out in their experience as educators in Denver. Oh yeah, I wasn't expecting the, the schools to be filled with so many white adults. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not like that in Miami at all. Like in Miami, I have black principals, I have black teachers and I have yeah. other color. I mean, teaching like the AP classes, IB classes, like from elementary through high school, right? I was exposed to leaders of color, teachers of color. So when I came to Denver, I was like, oh, this is what we've been reading about. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what they're talking about because it was definitely like I got I was like where are the black teachers oh oh they, I'm the only one in this building oh yes yes uh-huh. yeah yes. so you you didn't obviously stay in that position and you've been like you bopped around and had many different positions so tell us more about that, that piece of it too yeah. So then after that, I went to Ashley Elementary. They actually like reached out to me on LinkedIn and it was two blocks where I, from where I lived and I didn't have a car at the time. So I was like, when they offered me the job, I was like, yeah. So then that got me into DPS for real, it, yeah. even though it was innovation school. Yeah. And the first two years, I loved it there the first two years. I taught third grade and I love the students. I love the community. Like, again, I like walked to school, which means that I saw my students a lot yep. <laughs> just like yeah um and so yeah that was it was good however my third year there one I went to teach fifth grade so I was like oh, I'm gonna teach the third graders that I have before I'm gonna teach them again in fifth grade um which I think would have been okay had like the leadership at the school been stronger but uh-huh. that year, we had a new principal and a new assistant principal and it was a hot mess like when I tell you that I was like struggling 
like I felt like a first year teacher um, yeah. because I had like so many like students who just had like so many different needs and I would yep. reach out to administration who I thought you know was there to support would have answers would have solutions and they'd be like yeah we don't we don't know what to tell you about that or ah. it was like crazy stuff happening in my classroom um mostly from black boys and yep. I think their thing was look we don't want to over discipline them you know we don't want to and so they end up being like no discipline right mm. and and then like having like those low expectations of them and mm-hmm. like no this is okay like can we can we do more we need to do more and so it was a lot of me like making connections with families um but it was a tough year and that was actually 2019 2020 and when i tell you that like i like yes the pandemic devastating but i was grateful to not have to go back to that classroom in March, 2020, right? And it was like, to the point, um, I would talk to my therapist about it, it was like October. And like every week I had a day planned where I wasn't gonna be at school, whether it was Mm. like union days, district days, um, personal days, sick days. Like I was like, I wasn't spending a full week in in that school because it was just, we just had no support and it was hard, it was tough. Yeah. And you're not the only one. This is a theme we heard from folks who taught during the pandemic. They were so grateful to be at home for lots of different reasons. Um, Sometimes it was because administration was on their back. Sometimes it was because of like lots of different things, but it was just being able to be in the safety of their homes. That was just like so healing for people. Um. And it's interesting that you say that, that this idea of like not having to be at school. I remember I was walking home or walking from class one day with one of my good friends and Cristal, Dr. Cristal Cisnero, shout out to her when we were in our doc, doc program. And I remember her saying like, okay, well, MLK is coming up. And then after that, we have this. So I have a day off of that. And then I have a Monday. And I said, you know, this is after I had um, left teaching. I said, we, you can't live your life like that. Right. You can't live your life from like like vacation day to vacation day because there's a lot of days yeah. between those vacation days and weekends, right? And she no longer is in the classroom, is doing something that she really truly loves. Shout out to her. But that's the thing, that little like, if I could just make it a Tuesday and Thursday's a half day, and, and you, how can we, our life is not full of half days like that. Mm-hmm. No, and it shows like I was miserable at my job. <laughs> so how can yeah. I, you know, I can't be that effective of a teacher if I'm like miserable showing up. So it was, it was tough. And a lot of it, again, like it wasn't the students, right? It was the adults who made it yep. hard. And I just like got tired of like having to just advocate so much. Like it was like more than normal, more than usual. I felt like people weren't listening to me. They weren't listening to families. I was like, did you ask the family? What did the mom say? Oh, the mom said that she recommends this, but y'all going to do the opposite. Yep. <laughs> right? yeah. So it was, it was tough. A lot of times it's like, okay, just go in your room, close your door, do what you do, whatever you need to do <laughs> to, to get through the day yep. that kids are learning but um yeah and talking about yeah admin on your back I was like getting like evaluations like low scores like never had scores low like this before and I was just like 
what is going on? So I was also grateful that DPS was like, you don't have to, um, we didn't have to keep those scores that year. Yeah. Yeah. You were in one of the pilot schools. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't add to it. It's not the type of thing that you're like, I'm, I'm doing what's right for these kids. Right. And, 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 you know, working for DPS, I could say that, you know, there's this uh, philosophy that students are first and, and a core value. And, you know, that at times is challenged or contradicted by the practices of how we evaluate teachers. And I think uh, as we have experienced uh, is in particularly harmful to educators of color, by yeah. black educators in particular. Yes. I agree. Yeah. All right. So I guess the next question, you know, you're not in that classroom anymore. You're not in that school anymore. So the next is like, what was that thing, that straw? What was that decision that you said, okay, it's time to do something else? How did you come about that decision? Yeah, it was when I was counting down. <laughs> so the next day I had off, I was like, I can't continue to do this. And so I knew pretty early, like, by January of that year that I wasn't returning to that school, I thought maybe I would teach at another school and I actually did get hired at another school. And I was with them during summer 2020 um, as a team lead and a kindergarten intervention teacher. But I actually ended up accepting another job in central office prior to that school year starting. Um, but yeah, I, I was just that lack of support and I was just like, I, I was like, I don't like the leadership at the school. We are clashing and this is not going to end well for me if I, if I stay there. So that I left. Was central office better? It was at first. Yeah, it was like the, I was, I really, I had a really cool position. I, um, well, I don't, I can't remember the official name. Oh, leadership pipeline development. And, um, my, my biggest role was I facilitated the aspiring teacher leader of color cohort. And so I got to meet with um, teachers all through the district who wanted to get into senior team lead positions. And in DPS, senior team lead positions are the least diverse of all leadership positions at schools. Right? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And I so mean, they, it doesn't surprise me, but I did not know that. Right, because principals are the one who hire for those roles. Yep, right? yep, so. yep they tend to hire people who look like them. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I love that work. And I love like on the back end, um, figuring out ways that we can dismantle that system that is allowing the principals to hire white women in those roles. Um, because I mean, like so many, we have so many talented teachers who I think would stay longer if they had the opportunity to be in the classroom part of the time and to coach part of the time, right? But uh, this wasn't offered to a lot of our um, teachers of color. So I loved that work and it was virtual. Most of the first, my whole first year I was doing that from home, um, but it was the second year uh, <laughs> of that job. What ended up happening first, I got an, an, another offer to do what I'm currently doing now, um, but I knew it was time to go because what I saw, DPS sent out this survey to central office staff about like, do we want to continue with this flexible work schedule so we can work from home some days, work in office some days. And like majority of staff was like, yeah, we want to continue with this flex schedule. And so, so the, the like executive leadership was like yeah so we're going to return to office five days a week but oh like, wow sent, sent the survey results out to us showing that we asked <laughs> for the other 
for the other thing. And I was like, ooh, ooh, time to go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. That would do it. And, yeah. you know, there's so much there with the survey piece. Let's hear what you think. Let's go. And it's, and you saying this makes me think about all the times that I've heard as a parent um, say, hey, here's a survey about your kid's school or we're doing this. And, and for my daughter was an APS for a while. We're changing the logo. Vote on this. Vote on that. And to think that there's a possibility that folks just did what they wanted to do anyway. Yep. Like how many folks just know that? I'm like, I'm not voting. They're going to do what they want to do. And then here it is that you're sitting here. And like you said, they they were, they had enough gumption, yeah. I'll say, <laughs> to show you the results and still go what they wanted. Yes. Yeah. And I will say there was a new leader in DPS at the time. And um, that wasn't in line with uh, a lot of decisions that were happening from that leader. So I I wasn't shocked. Um, and I, as we see like things in DPS, especially central office are still in flux. And um, as I talked, I talked to a former colleague recently, she said, yeah, there's the, the black citizens, right? She's like, there are a lot mm. of black central wow. employees that were let go. Their positions were eliminated. <laughs> yeah. Pause for a second. Say that word again. Black citizens. <laughs> black citizens. Yeah. <laughs> Like Kevin. The black oh, I <laughs> yeah. get it. Oh, I get okay. it. Kevin, okay. you have anything to say about that? I mean, I've, I, I've, I've not heard. I, I think Branton. So I've, I, don't, I don't know if you coined this or if we get to, you get to trademark it. But I have, I, I have witnessed it. I seen it, as we mm -hmm. say. <laughs> mm -hmm. I seen it. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was in CCSD, we had. I guess now I would call them Blacksidus, where we there were tons of doctor doctors in what we we didn't call it central office, but central office, um, who Dr. Cobb and lots of other folks who were up there, Dr. Kennedy, and everyone left together. Like within one year, all of them left. And I hmm. think there's only a few folks left, like maybe Mike Giles. I know he's still there. There's a couple more people. But so many folks left and they were just over it. Mm -hmm. So I love that blacksidus. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that, that's like there we go. All right. Might might be might be the title of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. And so I guess our next question, and, and after this question, we'll go to break. But our next question is: what do you think that schools, districts, principals, central office can do to keep black folks in all the positions of education, right? Um, coming back to schools, what do you, if there is a solution that you think exists, what do you think that solution is? Asia, you'll probably appreciate this. I just submitted a paper about this yesterday for my grad school program. Um, so one of the classes I'm taking is called human capital, strategic human capital. And so mm. um, I, I did a lot of, thinking and research around it recently. I think one of the, the first things is having networks of BIPOC teachers, right? So like you cannot have just one in your building. 
and think that yep. that one is going to keep coming back. Right. Like I know personally for me, that was such a struggle when I was the only one and yep. that's well, actually they wanted to, they wanted me to come back that charter school. They're like, they were shocked. And I was like, no, I'm leaving. And they're like, oh, we're going to hire another black teacher. <laughs> <laughs> wow. They knew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, no, I no, no. We promise. Yeah. And then I left and they had hired the other black teacher who I'm friends with. So <laughs> she was like, Brand said they did the same you, thing to you. To you left. Like, you left me. Now yeah, I'm here. Like, well, I'm the only black teacher, right? So like, you know, not having one or two, like you need <laughs> uh, a, a genuine number of teachers um, with similar identities and especially that share the identities of the students. So I think that's one layered on top of that, that also includes leadership, right? Like people need to see themselves in leadership positions and know that their leaders are supporting them. Um, I think around like making sure that staff feel heard and valued. Like I was just, and like respect their professionalism. Cause I was just like, for me, I was, I was young, but I was like, listen, I got these degrees from these That's right. schools. Like Look. I have experiences like I'm not stupid I'm not any of these things but like y'all are treating me like I don't know what I'm talking about right like that I can't make decisions for myself for my classrooms for my students so that's something that I think that's like a, a mind shift that has to happen mm -hmm. in schooling and districts um obviously compensate teachers right yes. pay, them, pay them what they're worth um as far as the union side, I can talk about this now. <laughs> Not the union, right? Yep. But like, I experienced a lot of anti-black racism in when I was a member of DCTA, right? Yep. Mm. Or I was like, I had friends who experienced it, and me just being like, "What? Yep. Like, we're paying money for this." <laughs> so, <laughs> like, unions have to get it together too. Like, just like really supporting teachers of color and particularly in this case from my experience I, around black teachers I was a part of the black educators caucus yep shout out that's yeah. how we know I in all yeah. transparency that's how me and Brad to know yeah. each other it's the black educators caucus yeah and that was that was hard work right like we were it like was. fighting the union yep. <laughs> to fight the district right and, it was like, yep <laughs> yep it was too many battles happening at once. And it's like, all we want to do is educate the children. And so um, I think definitely like unions can step up how they're, they're supporting their staff. I think having like really clear hiring practices, right? So like this whole backdoor hiring, I'm gonna hire my friend. I, no, like the, we need to be very transparent on how we hire for certain positions for all positions so that people can know the pathways and what they need to do in order to prepare prepare themselves for positions that they want to go into into later hmm. i mean i love that i like uh you know from our experiences in the bc you know i think the union part of it I, I can just relate to as someone who's still there, still and 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 we at our work, I think Brenta like yielded a lot of uh it was still not where we want to be, but I think it's it's yielded some things that we we heard that you know that we talked about that we know needed to be addressed in our union and inequities. Um and then the aspects, you know, I feel like Asia of of what we need to see in schools are, are what we always hear. It's more, yeah. more, more people that are like us, 
more understanding of our perspectives, the expertise that we bring, you know, like, and, and that's what I love. I've always loved about you, Bronta, is, uh, you know, you are a scholar. You, 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 you don't mess around with it. You got the credentials to, yeah. to support it all. Like we should be listening to folks like you and like, I'm, you know, I, it just figures that there'd be building leaders that weren't willing to do that. And district leaders, building and district leaders. Right. Or like, do I need to tape my resume on my shirt? Like, it was- <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to check you with my college degrees, but <laughs> if I have to, I mean, I can, we can do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Dang. Thank you for that. You know, and that's a, that's a good list. I, I really appreciate this part about the union too, because I know that a lot of times when we ask that question, people really focus in on the class, like the school maybe, or yep. like the admin, the admin side of it and not necessarily talk to you specifically. Um, and a whole different show for a whole different time, like stories about ways that you experience racism by the hands of the union. Listen, you and I can do another episode just on that, right? Um, yep. But we won't, we won't go there today. Um, all right, so we're going to go to break and we come back, we're going to answer or ask our favorite two questions. Um, stick around, folks. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. We're back, folks, with our uh, our final two questions. These are my favorite because, you know, Kevin's in the school space, and we know that even though I'm trying to get him out of the school space, he's in the school space. The Black, Moses of, the Black <laughs> Moses of Education. Dr. Right. Asian Lions, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Asian Lions. So these are my questions. So um, tell us you um, no longer in that traditional educator space, t- traditional teaching space. What are you doing now? Tell us all the things we'd love to know. Mm-hmm. Well, one, I'm back in school and I'm actually in the same program that Asia uh, recently graduated from. So super excited to yeah. feel like all, all my heroes are, are going through that program. I feel like I'm being led in a path in life. Listen, come on, be Kevin. Great. Be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, maybe people will stop saying no to Dr. Lockett. I don't know. Maybe. That's right. That's right. Show enough. Show enough. Right. So I'm I'm enjoying being a student again. And at the same time, I also made the wild decision to also open a school. So let's I'm go. Executive, yeah, the executive leader of 5280 Freedom School. We recently had our charter approved. Yes. And so we are opening in fall 20. 2023 to um, kindergarten first grade students. And um, yeah, we're going to start enrollment January 13th. And then the first round of enrollment will end on January, uh, February 14th. So we like, if you are interested, reach out, come to our events and definitely enroll your student because the spots are going to fill up, fill up fast. And actually one of our pre-opening conditions that we have to fill all 52 spots during the first round of um, school choice and DPS. So um, all right. Kindergartners, first graders. Yeah. And, and tell us, tell the people about 5280 Freedom School, the mission and vision, those important yeah. parts. Yeah. yeah. And I'll start with a little history because Asia yes, yes, yep. history. Yep. So the Freedom School actually started back when Asia was still a member of BLM 5280. And we were all yes. in the S squad. And one meeting, we were like, yeah, let's just do the summer camp this summer. And 
we did that. It was summer 2018. I call it like the, the one room school. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was hot as hell in there, girl. We was doing it. We didn't have Wi-Fi. We didn't have outdoor play space. We did we were newbies in that. But yes. Um, the next summer we, we got it together. Asia was supported us that next summer too. Um and we've grown every summer. We've doubled in enrollment. To the, this past summer we had to have a, we had a wait list for kids who wanted to join the program. And then yeah, from that that summer camp, families are like, we need more opportunities like this. And students were like, I would love a school that was like this, right? Like a school with black teachers and yes. who love me. And I mean, the kids didn't say that, but I always think about like, you know, we had teachers who held the kids accountable, right? And had high expectations of the kids, but it was delivered in a very loving way. So it was well, yep. well received by the children, right? So yeah. like, you know, I, it was, it's amazing to me to see the interactions that our students have with our teachers, right? In such a short amount of time, like these relationships that are built are like, genuine right and authentic and there's no like playbook on how to how to do this right like this is just something where you have to have the passion for it and you have to like believe in black kids and yeah go up that way right and so that's our school is all about like we center black values principles and knowledge um and we're open to it so anyone can join us um, but it's centered around the Black experience and really just like affirming our students for who they are and letting them know that like, yes, you can show up how you want to show up and you will be loved in this space. You're being loved just for who you are. And another thing that I love about our school is um, we are going to offer universal gifted and talented. Yes. Yes. Students, right? Because I'm like, all of these babies are brilliant and it's in the schools where these, br the brilliance is just squashed, right? Yep. So we're going to, you know, we're going to uplift their brilliance and help them explore their brilliance in different ways and um, utilize GT strategies in our practices, but also having like a talent block for them too, to actually like experience GT learning, right? Yes. So super excited uh about that. I love that. I love that idea. I've, um, you know, uh, I started my career at Maury Middle School and uh, somehow ended up teaching in the Gifted and Talented program at Maury um, and uh, was open to a whole uh, new world of like educational processes. That was my first year, you know, like hadn't really studied it. But, but the biggest realization was that, you know, black and brown kids were completely underrepresented. And, uh, you know, the idea and also the other contradiction or kind of contrast that I had was what our traditional kids were going through, our neighborhood kids at the time at Maury, the education they were receiving. And I love this idea of, of giving chance, the chance to explore their curiosities because that's what happens at private schools. This is like the root of every great story of individuals, like the, the, the people, whatever it is, the field that they're in, they had the opportunity and ability to access expertise and practice these skills at a young age. And so I love that. The idea of, uh, you know, all of your kids, that's big, yeah. right? Universal yeah. GT education for all. Because like, I believe, I believe we're all gifted in some way. We all got the gift. 
Yeah. It's just sometimes we never even realize it or never give the opportunity to show it. Or even like when we do show it, we don't realize it because of how it's used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, having that space to explore, take risk, fail, learn from the failures, not be punished for the failures. Um, and this goes back to like my growing up in Miami. So I was in GT and in, in elementary through high school and the students of the GT program looked like me, right? So yeah. it was again, it was like coming to Colorado. I was like, what is going on? It's like, so through my personal experience, I was like, no, no, no. I know that there are brilliant black people out there, right? It's like we're yeah. not just like one out of 30. Like, no, like we had, I think it was about like 20 of us that were in our, our GT yep. program when I was in um, elementary school. And then middle school, like we actually had, like they would track the students. And so like our cohort was a whole GT cohort. Yep, right? all together. All together. Of, of, of black kids. Black kids, like 30 black kids, right? And, and, and yeah. you know what? To this point, you know what the uh, identified GT kids at Moore used to say? When they get identified from the other programs, we don't want to go in there. Why? We don't want to be with all those white kids. <laughs> right. No, that's, 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 they, they're weird. They're not like us. Right. Right. And it shouldn't be that way. And, and, and in fact, like the longer they like, as they grew, they realized, oh, I actually might be like, I might be into the same conversations that they're having. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's who I am, you know? So. <laughs> But I think it's beautiful what the kids have to see themselves mm-hmm. like it, it's a group of us. We mm-hmm. we all like this. We right. we all are bright kids. Right. And we can all challenge each other's other to grow yes. and push each other's thinking. Yes. No, I agree. Yep. So yeah, super excited. Our program is also um, culturally responsive and sustaining and based on the work of culturally responsive teaching in the brain by Zaretta Hammond, yes. cultivating genius, yes, by Goldie Muhammad. So, you know, just really we're developing a program that will center the most marginalized students, right? And we know that when the most marginalized students get their needs met, everyone gets their needs met. Um, so yeah, if you're interested, again, we'll, we're opening fall 23 and we'll be located in Wel- on Welton Street. So in All five, right. yeah, we're going to be in, in the points, historic. Yes, historic. Yes. And a historic yeah. building um, is where we're starting out. So it's, it's, it's exciting. We're, I'm excited for this work. I enjoy doing this work every day, <laughs> even in late evening, right? I'm, I'm not having that feeling like I did my last year teaching where yes. I was like down the days. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. This is so good. So good. And um, I will say, oh, I do have a question. So you talked about your summer, your summer program, the Freedom School summer camp. When you all are preparing to start the school in the fall, this summer 2023, will you have camp too? Or you will you be kind of holding off because school is going to be starting? I think we would have an angry mob of children if we didn't have summer camp. All right. <laughs> we will definitely still have summer camp families don't worry we will we will offer summer camp still yes okay perfect and so our last question let's go um last question favorite question best question what's bringing you joy these days Mm, and definitely just working on this school with community and just like like 
having a hopeful future, right? Like being hopeful about the future that there is going to be a place where kids are loved and treated yes. as humans. And um, yeah, I'm excited about that. And that brings me so much joy. I also have a golden doodle puppy too, uh. <laughs> but oh my gosh, she is just the cutest little thing. And uh, yeah, he brings me so much joy too. <laughs> I love that. I love we love that. we love the pets on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah he's kind of like one of my gifts to myself. When I um I moved, I had purchased a home, and I was like going through like a crazy breakup, and I was like, I'm gonna get myself a golden doodle, <laughs> and I, that's what I did. So. <laughs> What's his name? Jay Winter. He has two names. Jay, Jay Winter. Winter. <laughs> love it. Jay Winter. Yes. yes. Sounds All like right. a new, like a new up and coming R and B star. <laughs> kids, kids will be talking about him. You heard Jay Winter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Any final remarks, Kevin, before you wrap it up for the evening? Just brought to thank you so much for being here with us. It's, um, you know, I think this is one of my favorite exit interviews because I think ultimately the inspiration of what you're doing with the 5280 school, with the camp, but moving to the school, I think is, is I think the ultimate goal, you know, is how can we, we build systems for us, by us um, to meet the needs of our kids. And um, I'm just so impressed and proud to have worked and collaborated with you and, and I look to support you and can't wait till you got secondary positions open at the school. Yeah, we'll get same. you at the classroom though. Will you? Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll see. We'll see. See. I mean, that's a whole new world. Oh man. Shoot. Shoot. Might not want to leave. Might have to pull me out there. Yeah. Right. That's right. Don't have me in there visiting. <laughs> We get Asia back in there. That's why I'm turning Asia back to the old her. Yeah, I know, right? I know, right? New and improved, though, also. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, it's been another great episode. We appreciate you all listening. Um, Again, support the 5280 Freedom School. Enroll your students. Tell your friends and family. Um, we'd love to have you. And Brett, last question. Can they email you? How do they find out how to enroll? What's the process that that looks like? Yeah. So if they visit our website, 5280freedomschool.com, if they fill out the intent to enroll form, it's non-binding, but that gets you on our email list. If you want to just email us separately, where you can email us at blm5280freedomschool at gmail.com. And then we're also on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at 5280freedomschool. All right. All right. Well, you heard it from her. I hope that you all have the opportunity to get down there and enroll, get on the website. It's been another great uh, episode of the Freedom or the Freedom School. Look at me. Uh, the ex- Yeah, it is a Freedom School. Actually, the exit <laughs> interview. We will talk to you all there, uh, later on. See you later. Bye. 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 B